Hello, hello. Welcome to week four of the PCF Bible Talk podcast. My name is Brenea, and I am here with my co-workers. Hi, I'm Skye. And I'm Anna. And we all serve on the Princeton Christian Fellowship team. And I'm super excited for us to dive in um, to this week. So as we've shared over the past few weeks, if you've been following along on the podcast, the Bible is one cohesive story, okay? So God is intentional. He had a plan for us from the beginning. And the cohesiveness of the Bible is a reflection of that. Um, So while for the past few weeks we've been in Genesis, right, we looked at Genesis 1 um, and creation um, and Genesis 2, um, just diving in what it looks like to be made in the image of God, and Genesis 3, the fall when sin enters. Um, So while we've been in Genesis, we are going to turn today to look at the Gospel of John. Now, just for a quick Bible recap, the Gospels are kind of smack dab in the middle um, and serve as the transition between the Old Testament and the New Testament, or life before Jesus and life after Jesus. So there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they tell about the birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, And today we're going to be diving into John chapter 1. Now, this book was written by the Apostle John, uh, who was one of Jesus's closest companions during his time on earth. So this means he was an eyewitness to many of the accounts that he writes about, right? This isn't secondhand knowledge, but he was actually there. Um, And in the first 18 verses of chapter one, which we're going to study today, um, John gives a very compact, dense overview of Jesus's ministry. So over the next 25 minutes or so, we are going to break down um, John's quick rundown in these 18 verses on Jesus' ministry and consider how it links to everything we've been learning in Genesis, okay? And so as we discuss today, and as you're just thinking on your own, just remember that this is totally connected to everything we've already been learning. Um, Even more, as we read this passage, we're going to be thinking about communication um, and seeking to answer these three questions. So the first is, how does God communicate with us? And then what does God communicate with us? And then finally, why does God communicate with us? Okay, so how does God communicate? What does he communicate? And why does he communicate with us? So keeping that in mind, Sky, would you be willing to start us off by reading the first five verses in this passage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is John 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Thanks, Sky. So this is really interesting, y'all, right? This passage starts off in the beginning. So, right, does that ring any bells? So, right, John definitely has in mind the creation count of Genesis 1 and 2, uh, which starts off in exactly the same way, right, in the beginning. So this is an attention grabber. He's like, hey, hey, look, like, this is a part of the whole plan. I'm evoking evoking this language that everyone's going to know about. Um, so introductions are supposed to hook the reader, and this is exactly what he's doing. He's hooking us, and he hooked his readers back then when he was writing. So he starts off, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. Um, And in Genesis, we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so the reason I'm even pointing this out, y'all, is because it means that John 1, 1, when he's saying in the beginning was the word and the word was with God is pre Genesis 
one one. Okay, so again, thinking about the connection, Genesis starts off by telling us that what God did, right, tells us what God did, he created, but John starts off telling us what was going on before God even began creating. And what we learn is that God was with the word and the word was God. Um, And for those of you listening who don't have scripture open, I want you to know that word is with a capital W, okay, which lets us know it's a proper noun. So Sky and Anna, keeping this in mind and just thinking about this term, the word, can we just take a shot at breaking this down a bit? What is the word? What are the qualities of the word from what we just see in these first few verses? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so some of the qualities of the word, I think you um, kind of started to touch on it a little bit, Brenea. Um, but one of the qualities is, the, is that the word is eternal. Um, and you mentioned that it's existed from before the beginning. Um, and we see that in verse one, in the beginning was the word. Uh, and the second thing I would mention is that the word is distinct. Um, and it's distinct from God because in verse one, again, we see the word was with God. Mm. If you're with God, then you're distinct from God. But then at the same time, the verse continues, it says, the word was with God and the word was God. Mm. So at the same time, the word was, is God. Um, So God is in this word. This word is God, um, distinct in that he was with God, but also being together part of God. And I feel like John's early readers, who would have been a lot of Jewish, mostly Jewish readers, who would have known this Old Testament context that we're talking about, they would have heard Genesis 1-1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But now John is like, in the beginning was the word. And so they're like, who, what, who's the word, (laughs) you know? And so what you've been saying, Sky, is like, to me, it's like a detective. Okay, so the word was eternal, and he was distinct from God, but he was with God, but he was God, you know, and so we're working it through. And then it says in verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So again, we're going back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But now John is saying that the word created everything and there was not anything made that wasn't made through him. So that's a big claim. The word is the 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 creator, the one that things were created to, through. And then also very specifically, he says, the word provides life in verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. So again, that's a God rule that he's giving it. Again, it, we read in Genesis two, how God breathed the breath of life into Adam. And so now we're hearing that the word is the author of life. Um, so he's part of that act of creation, that act of physical creation. But then also, as we're going to read further in the prologue, we'll see that he's auth- also the author of spiritual life as well. And he kind of gets to that in verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has o- not overcome it. Again, that creation imagery of God speaking into the void and creating and bringing forth life, but also the spiritual imagery of God's light entering into spiritual darkness and making things light. So I love the the detective work around the word here. Yeah, that actually, I love uh, thinking about that. Wait, Anna, because the truth is sometimes, even now we read scripture and we're like, wait a second, who is this talking about? Is this talking about me? Is this talking about me? I'm like, what is, how does this fit together? And so, yeah, John actually really does write it this way. Um, and 
in light of that, it makes me think, well, one, one other thing I want to pull out, but I, I, I really want to stick on what you just said, Anna, is I also think it's interesting how it, it, in verse five, it's saying the word provides light and defeats darkness or evil, right? It says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So again, just talking about the power of the word, right? The like light cannot be defeated, like the word cannot be defeated. Um, I think just, it's just so interesting um, as we're pulling this out. But what you just said, Anna, which is like this kind of detective work is like, we we know right now, right, that the word is Jesus, right? Like the word is clearly Jesus. Um, so the question is like, instead of doing this detective work, why doesn't he just make his introduction more plain and just say Jesus instead of the word? So Anna, I would love if you could just take a stab at that or share any thoughts you might have on that. Yeah, I think this is a really profound and interesting point. And I also feel like what I'm going to say is just a like snapshot of what a lot of scholars have dived deep into. So I'm just, I'm giving you the overview as I understand it, but I know there are many, much more investigation can be done on this word. So when it says in the beginning was the word, I mean, that's kind of interesting from an English perspective anyway, like Brenea made the point that this is capitalized. It's a personification of the word. And we know that the word word, which always gets us in a bind when we talk about it, has a huge range of semantic meaning, right? We speak a word, we have a word with someone, we argue with them, we deliver a proclamation or a word, our words take action, our words have force and impact. So there's a lot embodied in that. But that's in English. And this was written originally in Greek, where the word word is logos, L-O-G-O-S, logos. And so when John chose to use Logos, he was intentionally, first of all, referring back to the Old Testament where the word of God, the Logos of God in the Greek translation of the Old Testament that he would have been reading is given a lot of attributes in the Old Testament. For, For instance, even in the Old Testament, it is said that God created by the word of his power. Or in Psalm 33, it says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. So John attributing creation to the word is not just unique to him. There is a connection to the Old Testament. Um, Also, Jews would remember that it was the word of the Lord that came to the prophets so often in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, many other prophets, many of their citations, where it says, the word of the Lord came to me, and I said this in response to that, or I delivered this message. Um, So the Old Testament readers would say, ah, this is the Logos, this is the word of God. And not only the Jewish readers, but also Greek readers. I think that John chose this word to kind of capture their interest, because The Greek word logos had been used a lot in philosophy by the Stoics, um, the Gnostics, some Platonists to stand in for reason or wisdom or the ideal of logic or the ideal soul. And sometimes it had been deified to the point of a god, like all we need to do is to know the ultimate logos. So I think that John is trying to capture them and say, are you looking for the logos? Here's the real logos. And let me tell you about that. So it's, it's a really cool choice that John makes that has real biblical grounding and meaning, but also reaches out to a, a wide range of people, this mystery of who is the actual Logos? What is the powerful wor- word? What is the divine word from God? Thank 
you so much, Anna. This was super helpful. Um, and I think it really helps me to see, and I'm sure it helps all of us here to see that that means that the concept of the word is a beautiful transition from the Old Testament or right, the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. So John is just trying to tie all of these parts together, right? Saying that the word was always there and that now the word has come in a new way. I um, mean, actually, this kind of reminds me of Hebrews 1 verses 1 through 2. And that says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So to continue considering how God is speaking to us, I think it'd be helpful if we read a few more verses in John 1. Um, so Sky, would you please maybe reread verses 1 through 5 and continue on through verse 14? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here we go. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thanks so much, Sky. So, y'all, in these verses, we continue to see um, John making some really powerful statements about Jesus, right? Like we already talked in the first five verses, he says, oh, he's the creator, and right, just all of these things that are like, wow, this is super powerful. He was God, but he was with God. Um, so it, as we continue on these next few verses that we read, can you tell me what else you two see highlighted here? What stands out to you? Well, I think just this amazing fact that the creator enters the creation, which is is kind of mind boggling how that happens, but that's what John says, right? He was in the world and the world was made through him. And so just this concept that the creator walked among the created um, as a human is an amazing thing about Jesus. And then in verse 14, I just love, I mean, I'm like not alone in loving this verse. I, I'm not like, oh, I love this verse. No one else ever thought to love this verse. But in verse 14, and the word became flesh which would have been, again, to those Greek philosophers, just like, what do you mean the ideal word became flesh? Or like to the Jewish readers, like the word of God became flesh. What? You know, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. And so the, again, the Greek word for dwelt there is tabernacled among us. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And now we've only, in our study, we're only in Genesis 3, so we haven't really seen the development of the idea of a tabernacle. But the tabernacle was a portable temple that the Israelites had with them when they were going from Egypt to the Promised Land. And that's where the glory of God dwelt, and that was kind of the symbol of God in their presence. And so they 
this is hearkening back to that and being like, just like God was with you when you were in the wilderness, now he is with you in the person of Jesus Christ. And so this is a beautiful truth that God um, sent Jesus as a rep, as the one who dwells with us mm. in the flesh. Yeah, and I think I'd add in on that um, as you're talking about like God dwelling with the people, tabernacling, tabernacling with the people. Um, I think that's when God like reveals His glory in the Old Testament, and that's what we also see here in verse 14. Anna, you were talking about Him becoming flesh, dwelling among us, and then after that, and we have seen His glory, and it's like. The people in the New Testament, because of Jesus, they are able to see God's glory kind of through this word, through this word coming, dwelling, walking on the earth with them. That's how they're able to see the glory of God. Yeah, so you you guys have pulled out some really uh, awesome things. So I'm just going to kind of summarize a little bit what I'm hearing. So we're seeing that the word is eternal. The word is the creator, illuminator, conqueror of evil, a revealer of God's unique glory. Um, and the word is all of these incredible things and yet human, right? So the word is both God and man. And perhaps most importantly, um, in calling Jesus the word, John is saying that God is communicating to us or revealing the truth to us um, by revealing himself to us through Jesus, right? So these verses kind of get to the heart of why John calls Jesus the word. Um, And I think just like Anna's beautiful explanation um, broke down that calling Jesus the word just clearly communicates to us um, as readers that God communicates with us. And how does he communicate with us? Through the word who became flesh, Jesus Christ, right? So Jesus being equated with the word is saying, hey, this is how I'm communicating to you all now. Um, And so I think that kind of answers that first question for us. Like, how does God communicate with us? God communicates with us through Jesus Christ. But I mean, we still have a few more questions we want to answer, right? What does God communicate with us and why does God communicate to us? So let's think about these two questions as we look at the rest of this passage. Um, So... Sky read through verse 14, and I want us to take a minute to pause and to zoom in on verses 6 through 9 to try to answer the question of what God communicates to us. So, Anna, would you please just reread the verses? Starting in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So here John is telling us a bit about himself and how he connects the story. Um, Sky, can you break down what you hear John saying here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one thing that we see John saying here and something that to be able to fully appreciate um, what John is saying, we need to backtrack a little bit and just think about the time from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And like you mentioned, Bernaya, we're in the Gospel of John, and the Gospels are at the beginning of the New Testament. Um, And before the New Testament is the Old Testament, go figure. Um, But between the Old Testament and the New Testament is this 400-year period where God is relatively silent. Um, There are not any major prophets. The Old Testament ends kind of with the prophets in that time period. Um, And then we have these 400 years of silence. So that's kind of what the Jewish people have been experiencing in John's time when this gospel is being written. They've experienced silence from God. 
come. They haven't really heard anything from him. So they're all eagerly waiting in anticipation uh, for a word from God to hear, okay, what is he going to say? We're waiting for the Messiah. Um, They were listening and waiting for Elijah, the second Elijah who would come to announce the Messiah. Uh, And the second Elijah is John the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist comes to tell us about Jesus, uh, to be God's messenger, um, to tell us about what is coming. And that's what we see of what you read for us, Anna. Uh, That's what we see. There is a man whose name was John. He came as a witness. He was not the light, but he's bearing witness about the light. Um, So he comes to tell us about the light, to tell us about this word we've been talking about. And then when Jesus comes, um, this incredible thing happens in the gospel. Um, John the Baptist is baptizing people and Jesus comes to John and gets baptized by John. And when that baptism happens, uh, the heaven splits open and God speaks. God says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And if that wasn't remarkable enough with the heavens being opened, it's also remarkable for the Jewish people who have been waiting for 400 years. So after these 400 years, this great silence is broken. Um, The heavens are split open and God speaks to his people once again. So this is so beautiful. And I just want to plug here because as I was thinking back, um, I first said that John is writing about himself, but that's not true. Um, and it's, you know, the names of the Bibles, you're like, how many Johns are we going to meet here? But the case is that John the Apostle, right, who walked closely with Jesus is writing about John the Baptist, um, who kind of paved the path, who was the second Elijah uh, and who was the messenger for the coming Messiah. OK, so John the Apostle is a writing about John the Baptist. Um, and that's what Sky, uh, that's what Sky just broke down, that Apostle was telling us, hey, this is what happened with John the Baptist. And what John John the Apostle is saying in this passage is that this is all about Jesus, who is God and human and the Messiah, who paves the way for us to have communication or relationship with God. All right. So thanks for breaking that down, Sky. And it helped me to remember like, hey, you need to clarify this here. Um, And I also really appreciate the way that John says um, that John the Baptist was there to bear witness. John the Baptist was not light. John the Baptist was not Jesus. He was simply chosen by God to bear witness or to announce Jesus's coming. And in this way, we get a pretty clear picture of what God is trying to communicate with us, right? He's saying, you, me, all of us, we have a restored communication, a restored relationship with him through Jesus, right? That's the linchpin of John's proclamation and the foundation of our Christian faith. So um, this leaves us with the question of why. Why does God communicate with us? We know how through Jesus Christ. We know what, um, which is, hey, restored relationship. There is hope through the Messiah, Jesus. Um, But the question is, okay, why does he even need to tell us this news that we are able to communicate with us, that the silence is broken? So again, we're going to return to the scripture um, to answer this question. Um, So Anna, would you please reread verses 10 through 14 and continue to verse 18? He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, 
full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So as we seek to answer the question of why God communicates with us, um, I would love for us to first just think a little bit about, like, what do we learn about humanity from these verses? Yeah, that's a good question. And I'll start us off uh, simply just by looking at that first verse Anna read, verse 10. Uh, It says, the world was made through him. So what we learn about humanity there is that the world, (laughs) people, humanity, um, we were created by the word, by Jesus. Um, And verse 10 continues, yet the world did not know him. So even though the world and the people, even though humanity was created by Jesus, the world did not recognize Jesus. Um, That's something else that we just see about humanity, created by Jesus, but not recognizing Jesus, not recognizing their creator. And then I feel like in verse 11, he kind of takes it to the next step. You know, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And I feel like here he's talking about the Jewish people specifically who had been waiting for that Messiah for so long that you were talking about, Sky. But then when Jesus actually showed up, they didn't really recognize him as Messiah. Um, so they rejected him. And that was their reaction to the word becoming flesh and entering the world. They were like, no, I don't think so. And so that's part of the human plight is that we sort of also reject communication from God. But also there's more than this of just this general idea that the world is in darkness. And we've seen that throughout this passage where it talks about Jesus is the light, but the world is in darkness. And we really can connect this to what in this Bible study we've been going over just in Genesis 1, 2, and but really Genesis 3, where humanity through Adam and Eve fell into this place of sin where they were disconnected from direct communication with God in the garden, and they were separated and in the darkness and in trouble, and they needed someone to come save them. And we talked about how in Genesis 3, God promised that someone would come to put their head on, or their heel, sorry, on the head of the serpent. And so we've been waiting for this person, um, but the waiting has been happening in darkness and in separation from God. So that's something about humanity in these verses. Yeah, thanks. And, you know, that starts to get me thinking about um, what God wants and expects of humanity. Um, Just following along, you guys just looked at verses 10 and 11. I'm thinking 12. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Um, So God wants humanity to respond to the word, right? Like he wants us to respond um, to the coming of the Messiah. He wants us to receive him and then believe. Um, and then it also showing that like humanity has hope because if you receive him and you believe him, wow, you become his children, right? There's nothing more to do than that. So I think we should maybe talk about that point a little further. What does it actually mean to receive Jesus or to believe in his name? Yeah, it's an interesting turn of phrase that sometimes maybe if you've grown up in a Christian environment, you're more comfortable with it or not. But it is, what does it mean to believe in the name of Jesus? And I think that is partially to acknowledge his claims. Like a name is not just like an identifier, but also contains the 
the reputation, the role, the character of the person. So it's Jesus, the Messiah, the word become flesh. Like, do we believe in that name? And so that acknowledges who he is. And also there's an implication of saying that with gratitude and joy that comes with the word receive. You know, we receive him and believe in his name. So we acknowledge his claims, but then we also accept them for our own lives. And we trust in him as our Messiah and as our word become flesh. So I think that's what I think of what I think of, you know, how do we unpack this phrase a little bit? Yeah, and what you were saying there, and I think that process that you're talking about, I think that process speaks of this new birth. Um, and verse 13 says, they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So this new birth is a birth that comes from God. Um, it's from God. It's not from anything that mankind or humans are doing. Um, it has nothing to do with our physical heritage or our race or our grandparents. Um, it has everything to do with God. It is a spiritual birth. Um, and this new birth also uh, being a spiritual birth, being a birth that is not of blood, that was not of our heritage, um, but it's also not of flesh nor the will of man. And with that, this new birth is not the product of a sexual desire. We're not physically born from our parents, um, but this new birth is an act of God. Um, it is God reaching out to us. It is God um, giving us a new spiritual state, calling us his own. Wow, this is really showing that by receiving Jesus, right, um, as Anna said, with gratitude, confessing that he is when he says he is, that we receive new life, right, or new birth, as Sky was talking about, um, just through an act of God. Um, and so we all are just greatly blessed by God's grace. This is what this is reminding us of. And we know God is gracious, right? Because the truth is we all sin. We saw that in Genesis 3. Um, and we deserve judgment for that sin. But the grace is that he doesn't leave us in our sin. In. Because as the text says in verse 17, grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So here we're seeing that God communicates with us because he is gracious and he loves us. Um, and because we are in desperate need of him, right? He's, he's doing it to say like, hey, you actually need this. This is why I'm speaking. Because um, otherwise we'd be in darkness, right? He doesn't communicate with us because we've earned it, or we deserve it, or because of anything that we've done um, or could ever do. It's literally just because he created us and he loves us. Knowing that God wants to come to him, approach him, and that we are his created being, we need to remember, I think, to just do it according to the way that he prescribes, you know? Um, so like in the Old Testament, this is through sacrifice um, that like when you need to communicate with God or when you need to atone for sin, it was through sacrifice. Um, but in the New Testament, the way that he prescribes is through the word, his son, Jesus Christ, and specifically faith in Jesus. Um, so I think it's just really nice because I think we were really able to tie together looking at how does God communicate, what he communicates to us, and why he chooses to communicate. Um, so I would love, um, just as we're wrapping up here, um, if we could just retract through those three questions. Um, would you guys help me do that? Anna and Sky, would you each just take a question and let's just make sure we are really clear on um, how God communicates, what he communicates, and why he does that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that first question, how does God communicate to humanity? 
And how does he do that? He does that through the word, the word becoming flesh. So he does that through Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. So that was how. And now what does God communicate? He communicates that Jesus, this word become flesh, and specifically faith in him, trust in his name, and receiving him, that is the way to salvation and light. And, you know, I'll take this last one, this why does God communicate to humanity? Um, It's because humanity is in desperate need of God apart from Jesus. Um, We are living in darkness without life and completely alienated from God. And I know last week in our Bible studies, um, we just talked about that, what like the the gravity of our sin and how uh, it separates us from a perfect God who cannot be um, connected with our blemish. And so Jesus is that bridge. Um, And because God loves us, not because of anything that we've done, um, he has given us Jesus, right? Himself, he has given us his son, um, but we also know whom is himself. Um, to bridge that gap so that we can be in relationship with God. So um, in light of last week, which just was about really heavy and really dark, and we see them, you know, having to leave the garden, and we see all of the glory kind of just fading away from what they were supposed to partake in, this is a really encouraging passage. And this was just a really encouraging time. Just remembering that God wants to communicate with us, right? Um, and that's like, that's one of the reasons that he does, and that we are in desperate need for him to communicate with us because we are fallen Um, and that he provided the perfect sacrifice so that we could be in relationship. So we could have that communication, which is Jesus, right? And that Jesus restores our communication with God. And so whenever you're thinking about why Jesus, um, this is why, because if not, I could not be in relationship with God. Um, And I actually will just share, I remember for me, this was personally one of the things that really strengthened my Christian faith. When I realized like, oh, this really makes sense. Like God is perfect. I am not. If something perfect is in contact with something not perfect, does that thing stay perfect, right? Does it not become blemished? And so Jesus serves as that bridge, that bridge in between. Um, So as you think about how Jesus is the way for our restored communication with God this week, um, I want to invite you to consider these two specific questions. One, if you don't receive the word or the light, which is Jesus, what does that mean for you? Um, That's question one. And question two is, what are ways you try to depend on your own strength instead of Jesus to communicate with God? All right. To be in communication with God. Um, So I think just to close this out, uh, this passage in John really links back to the creation account and the fall that we've been studying in Genesis. Um, But I also want to share with you another verse from later in John. It's John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. That kind of just summarizes everything that we just said. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So until next time, brothers and sisters, uh, thank you so much for joining in in the PCF Bible Talk podcast, and we'll be back soon.